back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Stuff Albiero. I'm here with the fantasy phenom, Alex Lott, my guy. And man, it's, it's rough out here because we were coming into today's episode excited to talk about running backs. And we're going to go through pretty much every running back that you should be considering in redraft leagues in 2021. But this Cam Akers news, man, this Cam Akers Achilles news, it's as a heavy shareholder in Cam Akers, it hurt. But even just for him as, as a person, as an athlete, to be this young, suffering such a severe it sucks. injury, it, it, it's been probably the biggest bummer of the year so far as far as football goes. It's really tough. And we're at that point in the year where statistically speaking – Injuries are going to happen, and we never wish injuries upon anybody, even when we talk about some of these lower-tier sleepers and if the guy in front of them gets hurt. like We don't want that to happen, but the statistics say that it's a tough sport, it's a rough sport, guys are going to get hurt, and it just sucks to see, before we even get into camp, a guy like Cam Akers, so young, so much promise, have such a severe injury, especially for the running back position. So definitely our thoughts and prayers go out to Cam Akers. I know... We're going to have to continue sifting through um, some of these changes, whether it be injury, whether it be cuts, whether it be other things. If we're talking about fantasy football, we're definitely um, not going to wish those things upon anybody. But it's it's part of um, the game of football, unfortunately, and just really, really tough, really brutal news for Cam Akers. But Steph, I am excited about today's episode. Just a comprehensive tier breakdown of running backs all the time. We we get questions, whether it be in the Discord, whether it be in the YouTube comments, like how can I get access to your all's tiers for running back, for receiver, for whatever position it is. Everyone has their rankings, but what people really need to know is tiers, what groups of players should be going where. And that's what we're going to get into today. You know, we're not going to break down our individual rankings within each tier. We're not going to say like tier one, we have Saquon over Dalvin Cook or Zeke over Derrick Henry, we're just going to group these guys into buckets for where they should be going in drafts. And if you do want more detail on some of those individual rankings, that's why you join our Discord. Totally free to join. It's linked in the description below. And we're answering any question, fantasy football or NFL related, you have in that Discord channel. Talk about your draft, talk about your trades, talk about your league. Anything you got, bring it to the Discord. Free to join. Hit us up in there. So we got a lot of players to get through on today's episode. So let's jump right in. The, the tier one running backs in fantasy football are going to be the guys, really the first five or six guys that go off the board. And it's been like that every single year. We've had episodes where we talk about the scarcity at the running back position. If you just look at fantasy points per game, we know running backs typically will hit a higher peak and there's more of them that can hit there, especially because there's less projecting we need to do as far as volume and touches and where they stand on the depth chart like we do with wide receivers and you know quarterbacks we talk about streaming that position all the time so Alex who's in that tier one when we look at our consensus thoughts on these players here's tier one for me it's Christian McCaffrey and to be honest with you Christian McCaffrey is almost in a he pretty much is in a tier of his own like if you have the first overall pick Take McCaffrey, don't think twice, but kind of for the sake of time and the sake of these tiers, we're just going to group him in with tier one. It's McCaffrey, it's Dalvin Cook, Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, Ezekiel Elliott, and Alvin Kamara. Those six guys, in my opinion, and Steph, I think you're in agreement with me yeah. here. Those should be the first six picks. 
and, and most drafts this season. 100%. And with most of these guys, they have the same situation they were in last year. Dalvin Cook, the Minnesota Vikings have retooled that defense over the offseason. They look to continue to be a run-first team. No change at the QB spot. Should be a fun offense. Christian McCaffrey, he has had a QB change, but we know that he's going to get utilized. He, quarterback has never mattered for Christian McCaffrey. He is the engine of that Panthers offense. He's going to see an insane opportunity share. He's going to see a ton of targets and receptions. If you just look at what he did when he was healthy last year and look at 2019, we should continue to expect that production, that volume to be there. Derrick Henry, almost the exact same situation. Tennessee Titans did retool a little bit in the draft and in free agency on the defensive side of the ball. They brought in Julio Jones. If anything, that should help the Titans offense be better, sustain drives, and give Derrick Henry more goal line opportunities. Ezekiel Elliott, though he was coming off a disappointing 2020, he was still a top 10 running back in fantasy football, has been at or on pace 300 carries for the last, I think it's like five years. He should have done that last year, but it was clear once Dak went down, once this team I don't want to say they went into tank mode, mm-hmm. but they were trying to keep Zeke fresh. But the one that I see on this list and this this tier one, these top six picks in your 2021 redraft leagues, assuming they are not super flex. We need to throw that caveat in there for all the super flex players. We, we see you. We see you. We'll have some of those mocks coming out soon. But Alvin Kamara, okay, he's got had a huge change from Drew Brees to now an ambiguous quarterback situation. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Right now, I'm operating as if Jameis is going to be the starter just based on some of the beat reports I've seen. And just, I don't think Taysom Hill can be a 16, 17-week starter. Um, But Alex, who do you think is going to be starting at the quarterback position? And let's really dive into Kamara because he's the last one that's on this list and the guy that I've seen left off this list in a lot of drafts. I'm still a huge believer for this season. I think the starting quarterback is going to be Jameis Winston. If I had to pick a side, that's the side I'm picking. But I really don't know, man. I don't think anybody knows because last year we had the same exact scenario and Taysom Hill got the job. So it's really hard to say. I think for Alvin Kamara's value, Jameis Winston would be the better solution. But the Saints are trying to win football games, not win fantasy football championships. So um, that's what makes it tough to project with Kamara. So to me, like Kamara is still in this tier one even if Taysom Hill starts all 16 games. But if we do see Jameis Winston play any amount of games as the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, I think Kamara just kind of shifts towards the top end of this tier rather than the low end. And Kamara's been the definition of efficiency throughout his entire career. He's not one of these workhorse backs that gets all these carries, um, but he gets those high-value touches. He gets the touches in the red zone. He gets the touches through the receiving game. And if you look at Kamara's game, he always, always is at the top in so many different metrics, especially efficiency metrics. If we look at his amazing 2020 season, he was number one in receiving yards, number one in receptions, number one in total touchdowns amongst running backs. He was two receptions a year. Lock it in. It's crazy. Yeah. Guaranteed 81 plus so far in his career. He was 10th in red zone carries, but first in red zone touchdowns. Number one in weighted opportunities per player profiler. That kind of balances out receptions versus carries because receptions are more valuable and it gives you the total value of a player's touches. Kamara was number one amongst running backs. Number two in juke rate. Number two in yards per touch. I could go on and on about all these top fives for Alvin Kamara, but he's been a top 
10 PPR running back for all four years of his career. Even during that injury-plagued 2019 season, he was still a top 10 PPR running back. So I think Kamara's a lock for 170-plus carries and 100-plus targets in 2021. And I know the biggest concern for Kamara, like we've mentioned, is Taysom Hill. And we saw a very small sample size from Taysom Hill as the starter in 2020. It wasn't great for Kamara's value, but I think there were other extenuating factors that came into play in that scenario. If we really break down those four games one by one, um, we see what was happening with the Saints offense. That first game, it was against Atlanta. The Saints won 24 to 9. They led the whole second half. Kamara had a low snap share. He was barely even needed in that Atlanta game. So they just kind of let Latavius Murray take over, ground and pound that clock. And that's why Latavius Murray is on this roster. In game two, it was against Denver, that Kendall Hinton quarterback game where the Saints absolutely curb stomped him and ran the clock out for the entire game. So Kamara was one of the worst games of all time. So Kamara barely even got utilized in that game, wasn't needed at all. Um, in Atlanta in the third start for Taysom Hill, two games against Atlanta in that four-game stretch. Kamara posted 17 PPR points, actually had a solid game, was heavily involved on the ground. And then the last game for Taysom Hill against Philly, the Saints did not lead in the entire game. Taysom Hill was forced to play from behind and throw 38 pass attempts, and Kamara saw 10 targets in that game, 22 PPR fantasy points. So I think the game scripts were playing a huge factor in that stretch. I think Taysom Hill had some part of it, but I think the game scripts came into effect as well, which is why we were you know, generally disappointed with Alvin Kamara over that stretch. But it's worth saying he was still RB11 in PPR in those four games. So I do think Taysom vultures some goal line touchdowns from Kamara on the ground if he's the starting quarterback. But if it's Jameis Winston, it's wheels up. I think the volume in this offense goes up all around. So none of that is going to scare me away from Kamara this season. I think he is a safe locked and loaded top six running back in PPR formats. And he's going to continue to have that RB one upside on this saints offense. I couldn't agree more, man. He needs to be in this tier one because when you look at the Saints situation, Kamara's pretty much their wide receiver too. I mean, he's their number two passing game option. Yeah. Had over a hundred targets last year. And then on top of what he's doing on the ground, I mean, you've seen the, the monster Camaro runs, right? Remember the, <laughs> you know, million dollar smile with it's the crazy. grill after the 52 yard, breakaway against the Packers on I think that was Sunday night football like we we know what Kamara is capable of we're excited for Adam Troutman we take flyers on Traquan Smith and Marquez Callaway in some of these best ball leagues or in the you know last round but the Saints really didn't do anything to address any of their pass catching weapons they didn't bring in any big free agents so I'm excited for Camara's pass catching volume, I think that could even go up. And we saw him with his highest career year in receptions in a year where Drew Brees didn't even play the you know entirety of the season. And we did have those bottoming out Taysom Hill games with one or two targets in those games. The one easy counterpoint on this Taysom Hill impacts the pass catching volume thing, it's as simple as looking at the game log in that game against Philly where you alluded to it, right? The 38 pass attempts in week 14, Camara mm-hmm. saw 10 targets from Taysom Hill. So clearly that was almost like the Ezekiel Elliott situation where the team didn't need to you know, put a huge workload on this guy's shoulders. A guy that they're paying a lot of money to be, to be a workhorse back that can carry them in those high leverage situations. There's just, we're never going to see a true RB1 unless maybe it's Derrick Henry. And even he has games where he's utilized less, but like all these guys are going to need a breather at times. No human, at least very few of them ever 
to walk this earth have been capable of carrying 25 plus touches consistently and not breaking down over what's now a 17 game season. So if you believe it's Jameis starting like we do, and, and even if Taysom Hill is sprinkled in the red zone or, you know, used on these trick plays, I think it's completely fine for Kamara. This offense, I actually think has a very strange path to some upside. If they can somehow be an even better offense because they're more electric without Drew Brees, your lack of arm strength holding them back. And look, regardless, it's going to be Kamara as one of the funneled volume options on this team. I'm locking him in for another 81 receptions and an RB1 fantasy season. Now, one guy we haven't talked about in this final tier, a guy that is falling in some drafts, and it's really because of the injury discount. And my concern levels are not high. I'm not fading Saquon Barkley. But there is some uncertainty whether he will be ready for week one. That is going to be something we need to monitor as we get closer to the season. We'll continue to update these tiers in our Discord. Link to that in the description. But with Saquon, you know, he had an ACL injury that's pretty significant. But usually it takes these guys about a year to come back. And we even have seen names like Adrian Peterson have historic seasons right after tearing Mm -hmm. their ACL. We saw Cooper Cup come back after an ACL tear and have a really strong fantasy season. With Saquon Barkley, he's not like every other player. So why are we going to compare him to every other player? To me, it just says, look, we need to learn, see more information. We need to get closer to week one before we begin to fade him because his offense has gotten better with some of the investments that they've made over the offseason, getting Kenny Galladay, getting Kadarius Toney to come in on that offense. Everyone should be healthy like Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard. Daniel Jones will have one more year to see if he can pull it off, but we know regardless with Jason Garrett back there, they're going to continue to feed the running back in the passing game, especially a generational talent like Saquon. So in tier two, we had Cam Akers, RIP. We'll, we'll be going in depth on his Tough. dynasty value. We've already been doing it in our Discord. Just talking about where we would take him in startups. Is he a guy to target in dynasty leagues for your roster? And maybe there's a buy opportunity. We'll get into that, I'm sure, once the offseason comes around with more talk on K-Makers. But as of right now, we're assuming with an Achilles injury, he's not going to play this season. And then Jonathan Taylor. So two sophomores in this range that were supposed to be, you know, workhorses. Jonathan Taylor still will be behind that great O-line. In Indianapolis, we have a full breakdown on him on our channel. And same thing with Austin Eckler, a guy that we expect to be an absolute stud in the passing game, a guy that was seeing monster target share with Justin Herbert. As long as the Chargers continue to be a high pace of play offense, he should continue to eat, no questions about it. But Alex, Joe Mixon is the last one in this tier. I've seen him lumped into tier three, where we'll be going Mm -hmm. after this with Gibson, Najee, Chubb, Aaron Jones. But Mixon for both of us is right here in that tier two. To me, he is truly Ezekiel Elliott light based on both the the style of his play, but also the role that he plays in his respective offense. Tell me a little bit about Joe Mixon. Yeah, this is a really tough line to draw. And these tier three guys we're going to get into next are so close to tier two. I, I think this one was really tough to break into two separate groups, but really a big driver of that is these for everyone watching, everyone listening, these are Steph and I's kind of consensus tiers. So I know Steph, you're much higher on Antonio Gibson. You'll talk about him here in a little bit. I like Najee Harris a lot. We're both really high on a guy like Joe Mixon. And those are some of the deciding factors that came into us splitting tier two and tier three is that consensus. 
Um, you and I are definitely going to be higher and lower on some of these players, and we'll be sure to call that out. But I feel really good about this tier two. It sucks that we lost Cam Akers out of that tier. Again, wish him a speedy recovery. Um, but it's a small group now. JT, Eckler, and Joe Mixon for tier two. We will have to plug in Daryl Henderson on the fly as we're going through these tiers to, to figure out where he fits into the big puzzle. But let's talk about Joe Mixon a little bit more because he's one of these polarizing players that I see time and time again people saying, not drafting Joe Mixon. He's on my do not draft list because he's burned them in the past. But I'm trying to figure out where they got burned because Joe Mixon has been nothing short of spectacular um, over the past several seasons. He had PPR finishes of RB10 and RB13 in 2018 and 2019. He was RB9 through week six last season before his injury. I think the theme is inconsistency with Mixon. He's had slow starts to the season and strong finishes. Then last year on a week-to-week basis had the one monster week some disappointing finishes. So we need to see some consistency for him. And I think that might be the thing driving people away from, from Joe Mixon. But when we look at 2021, he just has so much working in his favor. First, he's going to be a volume monster. I mean, this guy over the last three seasons has averaged 17 carries and three and a half targets per game. Now you have no Giovanni Bernard. So that vacates another 59 running back targets from last season So he should be the guy on first, second, and third down in this offense. No, I don't think he's going to see a Christian McCaffrey-level workload. He will need a break every now and then. But you talk about these pass-catching downs that Giovanni Bernard's been seeing in the past. Those should shift more towards Joe Mixon in 2021. And the biggest thing he's really struggled with in the past, the thing preventing him from being a top-five running back, is efficiency. Last year, he was 42nd in the league. And yards before contact per attempt, he was getting hit at the line of scrimmage repeatedly. And the O-line graded 30th last season per pro football focus. So they were able to bring in Riley Reef at tackle in the offseason. They were able to, to draft Jackson Carmen in round two. So they should show some improvement on the offensive line in 2021. I don't think they're going to be like a top 10 unit or anything crazy like that, but it should be better. And then you also have to look at the rest of the offense. Joe Burrow is going to be coming back this season. You now have Jamar Chase as a weapon on the outside. Joe Mixon should be seeing far fewer stacked boxes in 2021 because they're going to be able to spread out this passing game with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. So I think Joe Mixon is going to have a lot more space to operate in this Bengals offense. And with that's going to come more touchdown opportunity as well. If they're able to push the pace to get down the field to get more scoring opportunities, it naturally is going to lead to more touchdowns for Joe Mixon. And one last thing I want to mention, like people are so quick to forget how much of an athletic freak this guy Ooh. is. He is 6'1", 228, and runs a 4'4", 40-yard dash. Absolute freak athlete. And I, I mentioned that receiving work earlier that Giovanni Bernard's looking behind. I think there's no doubt he's going to continue to be a workhorse on the ground. But Mixon has the receiving skill set in his profile at Oklahoma Um, In his last season there, he posted 37 receptions and over 500 yards at the college level. And in the pro ranks, he's had above an 80% catch rate for his career. And I've broken down some of his film. He looks very fluid in the receiving game. So with the workload he should see, with the increase in those high-value touches around the goal line and in the passing game, I think, you know, barring injury, there's no way Joe Mixon finishes outside the top 12 running backs. And he does have top five upside this season. I love it. I love it. The volume should be there in spades in this offense. No more Gio Bernard to hold Mixon back. 
and they gave him a monster contract. So they need to feature this running back to get their money's worth because last year feels kind of like they shut him down. There were reports that he was going to come back. It felt like almost every single week, but they continue just to show up on the injury report and not play. So I'm with you on Mixon, extremely high on him in redraft this year. Now let's shift down to tier three. This mm-hmm. tier is consisting of a lot of guys that are interchangeable. It's Antonio Gibson. This is one of my favorite running backs to grab at that one-two turn. Now with Cam Akers being gone, uh, same thing with Najee Harris is there, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Clyde edwards Zilaire. That's the tier three mm-hmm. of running back that we're talking about. Guys like Najee Harris, guys like Clyde edwards Hilaire. we've done pretty extensive breakdowns for them on our channel. Najee should have a massive opportunity share in Pittsburgh as that three-down workhorse back. CEH, we both really actually like at current value as a bounce back candidate for this season some time due to injury was definitely getting acclimated as a rookie but in that kansas city chiefs offense we expect him to take a step forward in year two and step first let's hit on antonio gibson this is a guy you've been hyping up on our channel let's go since day one it feels like and i know he is is one of your guys for this season we're gonna get into you know fantasy mvps things like that as we get closer to these drafts. But I know Antonio Gibson's got to be in consideration for you just hearing the hype train you've been dishing out. But Steph, tell me why you like Gibson for 2021 and why he is in this tier three. So I will get into all those reasons, but I first want to address (laughs) the one elephant in the room with Antonio Gibson right now. And it's kind of similar to the Saquon Barkley situation. Supposedly Gibson has an injury that could question his availability for week one as the toe right it's a turf toe injury it's one of those soft tissue foot problems it did take him out for a few games last year but until we hear more until we see that he's missing practice or having issues in the preseason or the team comes out and says he's uncertain for week one i'm locking him in as a starter from the very first snap of the season and when I, I went and just read just a quick interview that Antonio Gibson had recently, he said he's, quote, been cutting and running full speed, making cuts I need to make. And then he said, I definitely got to watch and make sure I stay up on my treatment so nothing goes south. So I'm not going to try to overreact to a guy going through treatment in early June when he says he's already running and cutting in practice. But that was one report on Antonio Gibson that's come out this offseason. The other one is Ron Rivera coming out and saying that they he expects, quote, a big jump from Antonio Gibson this season. And we saw what happened the last running back that he gave a big jump to in year two, which was Christian McCaffrey. And Gibson, as a rookie, was 17th in fantasy points per game. So a you know mid to high end RB2 for your fantasy roster and redraft. He saw 120 carries, which is 12 per game. So he's getting worked into the offense as a rookie. I have to believe that alone is going to go up in year two from a running back who was running efficiently on a terrible offense at 4.7 yards per attempt showed us the only thing we needed to see from him coming into league, which is that he can be a true between the tackles runner. And we know he has that wide receiver background in college. And if we just look at the analytics, right, those data points that tell us that a running back is going to break out Antonio Gibson should be a stud coming in as a prospect. He's six foot, 228 pounds. Same as that Joe Mixon size you pointed out. Mm-hmm. That's the same size as Ezekiel Elliott. He runs a 4.3940, which is just That's fast. absolutely insane at that size. So the measurables are there in spades. 
His efficiency in college was unmatched. He declared early for the NFL. He has the early third round draft capital and an 187 pound 28 year old JD McKissick is not going to be the reason that I fade Antonio Gibson. J.D. McKissick is not going to be eighth in the NFL in weighted opportunities like last year. It's just not going to happen. He got boosted by that Alex Smith situation. I don't think McKissick's ever going to see 15 targets in a game again, at least while Antonio Gibson is healthy and on the field. And even with Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in to the Washington football team offense, that's actually worse for McKissick because this is a quarterback that can target his wide receivers down the field. So for me... J.D. McKissick is just Chris Thompson 2.0. I mean, imagine fading top 10 running backs and Leonard Fournette and James Robinson because of Chris Thompson being in the backfield in Jacksonville. McKissick isn't going to impact Gibson enough for me to fade him. And Gibson was already seeing 2.6 targets a game as a rookie. I think the ceiling is there for that pass volume to actually go up for him if he's on the field more. But if there is going to be a reason that you fade Antonio Gibson – do it because you don't think he can sustain the incredible touchdown volume Mm -hmm. he had last year. Gibson had 11 total touchdowns. That's a 5.3% touchdown rate on his carries. That's right behind J.K. Dobbins and Nick Chubb, who are both in some of the most efficient offenses in the NFL. These run-first teams. like Gibson was right there with those guys in terms of scoring touchdowns. But I actually see a hard time for this offense to slow down anytime soon because they're in the NFC East, which is going to be loaded with shootouts this year. They got that quarterback upgrade. And even if Taylor Heineke starts, that means at least he's playing better than Fitzpatrick. So that should be sustainable, at least for the weapons. They added Curtis Samuel, who will help this offense. We already know Terry McLaurin's a stud. Logan Thomas had a very nice season. I think this offense is going to chug along. And if I can capture Gibson's increased usage in year two, continued efficiency in what should be a high-flying offense, an insanely high amount of upside, either through receiving work or touchdowns. I'm going to be thrilled about it with Gibson as my RB1 or amazing value at RB2 in drafts this year. I love it. Yeah, you're definitely higher on Gibson than I am, but it's not to say I wouldn't love to have him as my RB2. You mentioned the Christian McCaffrey comparison. I want to quote Ron Rivera, the night... Antonio Gibson got drafted. Ron Rivera said he's a little bit bigger than Christian McCaffrey, but he's got a skill set like a little bit bigger, but he's got a skill set like Christian. So if anyone is going to utilize him in that role, it's going to be Ron Rivera. And the sky is really the limit for Gibson in 2021. I think the only thing to your point that could hold him back is the touchdown upside. But I honestly think, you know, the touchdown rate could come down, but if the volume goes up, he could still hit that double digit mark. So I love Gibson for 2021 but Steph let's hit on Aaron Jones here because Aaron Jones is someone I've honestly avoided trying to talk about because I just don't know what's going to happen with this situation and we're getting close enough to the season where I think we just need to address the elephant in the room and talk about what Jones is for 2021 how is he being valued right now and what happens if Rodgers comes back and plays and what happens if for some reason Rodgers doesn't play the day of this recording we heard that news of Rodgers turning down a contract extension, and we still don't know what's going to happen. I expect him to be there, but we're going to wait and see, and maybe by the time you're watching this or listening to this, we will have Rodgers News, which is great for some clarity on Aaron Jones. 
But Aaron Jones is another one of those polarizing guys for 2021. There's really two separate stories and two separate narratives for him. But before we get into the with or without Roger situation, let's just talk about like the lay of the land with him as a player. He's been a top five running back for each of the past two seasons in PPR. You can't ask for much more than that. You got Jamal Williams, who has now left Green Bay. He vacates 119 carries and 35 targets. Now, we do expect A.J. Dillon to take a lot of the volume on the ground, but there should be some target opportunity for Aaron Jones to go capture and to increase in 2021 because A.J. Dillon isn't necessarily specialized as a pass catcher like Jamal Williams was. So I, I think, honestly, we see, regardless of who the quarterback is, we see Aaron Jones back at you know 12 to 15 carries and four to five targets per game in 2021. And the thing that defines Aaron Jones fantasy football value and honestly his value for an NFL team is his efficiency. He had 5.5 yards per carry in 2020, just absolutely ridiculous. So we know what he is. A great running back, a very hyper efficient running back that can do it on the ground and do it through the air. So to me, if Rodgers is in Green Bay this season, Aaron Jones should continue um, to be hyper-efficient on the ground, no reason to think anything is going to change, and through the air. The average defenders he saw in the box last year was 6.8, which was 38th, which is really good. That means there is a very light box for him to run through, which explains some of that efficiency. There were only 6.7 average defenders in the box for him in 2019, so that's definitely contributing to some of that efficiency on the ground. He's going to have continu continued weekly touchdown upside as well. The Packers were the number one scoring offense in 2020, if Rodgers comes back this season, Aaron Jones is, continue, is going to continue doing what he's been doing, which is run for five-plus yards per carry and score a lot of touchdowns. And he's going to continue to catch passes, and there's no reason he shouldn't be a top-10 PPR running back with top-three upside if Rodgers is in Green Bay. But on the flip side, we have to address the fact that Aaron Rodgers might not be there. And if Aaron Rodgers is not there... The efficiency is going to drop for Aaron Jones. I mentioned the defenders in the box. I think if Aaron Rodgers is gone, we are going to see teams start to stack the box against the Green Bay Packers. Defenses are going to start playing against the run unless Jordan Love just comes out and is the second coming of Justin Herbert next season. I think the touchdown upside plummets as well because we're not going to see this Packers offense finish in the top 10 scoring offenses in the league if Aaron Rodgers isn't there. So the two things that have hoisted up Aaron Jones' fantasy value over the past several seasons, that efficiency and that touchdown upside, could be stripped away if Aaron Rodgers is gone. So it's not to say he's going to be left for dead and useless if Rodgers isn't there, but it's going to be a huge hit on his value. And right now, Aaron Jones is kind of like uh, Alvin Kamara from, how he, from a perspective of how he brings fantasy points to the table. He's not getting... 25 carries a game. I know Kamara is a little bit more skewed towards the passing game, but they're going to see, you know, that 12 to 15 touch range and then add some value through the air as well. So if we see that efficiency stripped away from Aaron Jones game, he could go from being an Alvin Kamara type of fantasy producer. I hate to say this, but to a Melvin Gordon from last season type of fantasy producer because Yikes. last season Aaron Jones and Melvin Gordon were almost identical in terms of overall touches but Gordon was just far less efficient with those touches over one fewer yard per carry had fewer touchdowns than Aaron Jones and this was hard for me to believe Melvin Gordon was the PPR running back 14 last season I was shocked to see that that's actually not bad <laughs> but what is our you know connotation how do we think about melvin gordon we think of him as being someone we don't really want in fantasy so i think if aaron jones has rogers he is in that 
that top tier, and he's probably going to bump up to tier two in these rankings. But if Aaron Rodgers is gone, I think he's moving down to tier four, tier five, not because I don't believe in Aaron Jones as a player, but the situation is just going to be far worse. And you're probably looking at RB2 upside without Raji in Green Bay. Very interesting. And and if Rodgers does not come back, what's to say this doesn't become much more of a ground and pound team, which True. lends itself to AJ Dillon getting even more of those carries on the ground. And that's the one thing holding Jones back for me outside of the Rodgers situation is, is AJ Dillon. I, I think this yeah. coaching staff loves AJ Dillon. They went out and drafted him the second round for a reason. Mm-hmm. And we know he has the size and speed. I've done full breakdowns on our channel about AJ Dillon. I think he's a very interesting prospect. And I think this could actually be more of a 50-50 split than a lot of us want to see. So that's where some of the hesitation lies. But as it stands right now, you can buy super low on Aaron Jones when you're sitting there in these redraft leagues because people are worried. And that goes for Devontae Adams. That goes for Robert Tanyan. That goes for all of the Green Bay weapons and even Aaron Rodgers himself in fantasy drafts as of late July. But Alex, let's continue down this tier. It's it's a pretty fun tier and all of these guys are perfect RB2s in yes. some roster constructions that you might come up with, which I would not recommend. <laughs> if you have to get stuck with one of these guys as your RB1. I think Nick Chubb would probably be the guy from this tier that I would want as yeah. my RB1. So stable, man. So consistent. You just know what you're getting with Nick Chubb. He's one of the safest options in the draft and if he finished top five this year in fantasy, no one would bat an eye at that at all whatsoever. He's one of the most efficient players in the NFL, just like we talked about with Aaron Jones and Alvin Kamara, all these all these studs that we know. And Chubb, despite being in that split backfield with Kareem Hunt, was seeing 15.8 carries a game, was number two in the NFL in yards per carry, and the years before that he was top 10 both seasons. So I don't expect that to change anytime soon. He was third in breakaway run rate, number one in juke rate per player profiler, and averaged 89 rushing yards a game, was seventh in fantasy points per game. So, look, you can fade Nick Chubb because Kareem Hunt is there all you want, but at the end of the day, Nick Chubb is Cleveland's number one back. For those of you who don't know, I am a Cleveland Browns fan. I watch every single game, and last year was one of the most (laughs) satisfying seasons of football I've ever had the privilege to be a part of. We saw Stefanski bring over the Dalvin Cook game plan in Minnesota when back when he was with the Vikings. But instead of just funneling all the volume to one stud running back, they split it up between two so they can keep them both fresh. And it works a lot of the time because with the Browns you have, and what my very biased opinion is, in an elite offensive line. They were number one per PFF last year. We wear you down with Chubb between the tackles early in the game, and then we give you the Mortal Kombat fatality (laughs) with Kareem Hunt in the passing game, in the red zone, just running guys over. This rushing attack, the Browns in general, could be very nice this year. I mean, we were were a Rashard Higgins... (laughs) targeting call away from beating the chiefs and all right all right calm down i'll, calm I'll get down. off i'll get off the, the browns uh fandom hype train but i gotta say all that to say look nick chubb he's stable he's i'm seeing him creep into the back of the first round yeah. and when folks do that I, I do not blame them at all just because he is so safe he is so proven and assuming good health is no doubt in rb1 in 2021 i agree with you and we constantly see people us included sometimes 
go with the new hotness, the Antonio Gibson, the Najee Harris, some of that upside in the unknown. And when that happens, it creates values. And that creates veteran values for a guy like Nick Chubb, who this might be a hot take, but I don't really think it is. He, in my opinion, is the best runner in the entire NFL. Like, take away all the other stuff a running back has to do on the field just in terms of true rushing the football skill set. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who does it better than Nick Chubb. But, Steph, let's go ahead and move on to Tier 4. Had a lot of really good breakdowns there in Tier 3, that tier. One more time, Gibson, Najee Harris, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Tier 4 for us is DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Miles Sanders, and Chris Carson. And Swift, to me, a little sneak preview here, Swift, to me, is the highest um, guy in this tier. And with that being said, though, I think Miles Sanders is probably the best value. I've seen him slip into the fifth round in some places. We've broken down Miles Sanders on the channel. We've done breakdowns on DeAndre Swift and J.K. Dobbins in depth as well. I think Swift, with that receiving ability, is going to be hyper-utilized in Detroit. And even though the offense is going to be bad just from an opportunity share perspective, he should be very valuable with a high floor in PPR leagues. J.K. Dobbins, kind of the opposite, but yet very similar to someone we talked about earlier, like an Aaron Jones almost, like not going to be quite as utilized from like a volume perspective, not going to be getting 20, 25 carries a game, but he's going to be hyper efficient, not necessarily utilized in the passing game like an Aaron Jones will be, but he should be getting that five plus yards per carry, high touchdown upside in that Ravens offense. And then Miles Sanders, very polarizing player. He hinges a lot on that Eagles offense. Go look at our breakdown of Miles Sanders if you haven't done so already, and you're going to get all the juice on Miles. But Steph, Chris Carson, someone we haven't talked about much. The Seattle offense is back and booming for 2021. There was a little bit of disruption in the offseason with Russell Wilson, some questions about his future. It seems like things have settled down a bit. And as we look to 2021, my biggest question for Seattle is, are we going to see the first half of the season, Seattle, or the second half? Are we going to see Russell Wilson throwing it 35-plus times a game? Or are we going to see things starting to break down? A lot of Chris Carson's fantasy football value hinges on that. He was so good in that first half of the season, being utilized in the receiving game, being utilized around the goal line. We know he's a great true runner as well. Steph, what do you think about Chris Carson for 2021? And is he one of these old veterans that's being slept on? Because again, everyone just wants that new hotness. He is being slept on because Chris Carson in 2021 is what he has been since 2018, which is a workhorse running back in one of the most efficient offenses in the league, whether it is through the air or on the ground. He's ran for over 1,100 yards twice in his career, and he's the perfect RB2 as far as his fantasy output, with very sneaky, and I will say very sneaky, RB1 upside. He was 11th in fantasy points per game in 2020, and in 2019, he was the RB12 in fantasy points per game. So this is a guy kind of like Joe Mixon, where injury has overshadowed his true production on the field and what he can be as a commodity for us in fantasy football. And Carson... Showed last year he could get it done in the passing game. And and that was one of the big questions. So whether it is Russell Wilson finally cooking and going nuclear through the air, or they continue to run this ground and pound defensive first Pete Carroll system. Either way, we know Carson get it done. They throttled him down to 12 carries a game when he was at 19 the year before in 2019. But they throttled Carson up to four targets a game. And... He is the primary 
touchdown scorer in this offense scored nine touchdowns in 12 games. We know Russell Wilson is going to give them opportunities to be down on the goal line, get into the red zone. And the 12 games thing seems to really be this year what's holding Chris Carson back. So he misses four games last season. He's just under 27 years old. So past the age prime for running backs. And he suffered a good amount of injuries in his career. But he actually missed less than I thought once I really looked into it. In 2019, he played 15 games in a 16-game season. In 2018, he played 14 games in a 16-game season. So the one thing you know with Chris Carson is that you're you're not getting a 17-week season out of him. But if you look at where he's going in drafts, he's being way too discounted. Because imagine getting a locked-in top 12 running back for 12 out of 17 games anywhere in the fourth round in these 12-team PPR redraft leagues, Chris Carson is a tremendous value. And just like Nick Chubb, he's a safe, stable option. You know what you're getting. You just know you're going to have to hedge a little bit. Go get a Javante Williams. Take a shot on a Damian Harris. Would love to pair him with a guy like Travis Etienne as well in that third and fourth round if I need running backs. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, Chris Carson, you saying those numbers of how many games he's played, he's played way more games than I thought. I think of this guy as missing half the games each and every season, but when I think back, I remember how tough this guy is. I mean, I remember, I don't remember if it was last season or the season before, but there was fear that he might have torn his ACL. They thought it was a very, very severe injury to the knee, even as we went into the week, and he ended up playing the next week. Like, he was listed as doubtful <laughs> everywhere for the entire week, thought he was going to miss significant he, time. He plays. And he played. And he always plays. he's tough as it gets, and I agree with you. He's being undervalued. He got that contract to come back to Seattle, two-year, $14 million, $5.5 million guaranteed. That is pretty solid running back money. That's not any, like, James Conner minimum veteran $2 million deal. So... I'm rising a little bit on Chris Carson, and if he falls into that value pocket for me in that fourth round, maybe even into the fifth round sometimes, I'm definitely willing to scoop him up. Behind Carson, they have Prashad Penny, who seemingly can't get healthy, still not cleared to play week one. DJ Dallas, who was a later round pick. He struggled a little bit last year. He's he's serviceable at best. Travis Homer still there. Okay, the biggest <laughs> desperation waiver name of all time, Travis Homer. Travi. And then Alex Collins, this, this is Carson's backfield. I'm over it. This this tier is all undervalued, yeah. even Swift. One thing I'll say is we have these breakdowns on all of these players. If you are curious, like, hey, I would love to see them go a little bit more in-depth on J.K. Dobbins and his situation, how Lamar Jackson is going to impact his pass catching volume, go check that out in the playlist on our channel. It's called the 2021 Fantasy Draft Kit. We have it broken down clip by clip, player by player. You can go in, do a quick search, find the guy that you're looking for, and get those takes when you're on the board in these redraft <laughs> leagues. But Alex, let's jump down now to Tier 5, where we have our boy Miles Gaskin, who we've talked about extensively. We know and we expect him to still continue to get 14 carries, over four targets per game like he did last year when he was the starter for the Dolphins. They clearly have shown by not drafting someone that they will rely on Gaskin to get it done. We have Travis Etienne, who I'm extremely high on, have him in a ton of places in Dynasty. And he's a guy that can play that DeAndre Swift, Alvin Kamara, even like Chris Carson, who we were just talking about where they throttled his carries down but increased his pass catching volume. That could be Etienne as soon as this year if that mm -hmm. efficiency from college carries over. But the next guy on this list who might be rising because of some of the 
injury situations in his backfield, it's David Montgomery. Now, on top of bringing in Damian Williams this offseason, the Chicago Bears also have Tariq Cohen to worry about, a guy that they did pay a lot of money to continue to be there, a guy who really has been one of these scat backs like a Naheem Hines, like a Chase Edmonds, fits right into that mold where he's going to take a lot of the pass-catching volume from the RB1, which we hate for fantasy purposes. But David Montgomery has been a guy who's consistently breaking tackles, staying relatively efficient, even behind pretty bad offensive lines. Alex, are you excited this year for David Montgomery? Well, it's hard to say excited. I mean, he is sitting here in our Tier 5, which to me is like still fine RB2 range. You know, if I do take that elite tight end earlier, I do take one of those high upside wide receivers early in my draft. If I end up with a Miles Gaskin, a Travis Etienne, a David Montgomery as my RB2, I think you're fine. And honestly, debatable. I know this is supposed to be our consensus tiers. I would have Josh Jacobs in this tier as well. But for the sake of this show, we'll get into him in tier six. Um, But yeah, David Montgomery, I don't think I'm excited, but I'm definitely okay. Um, because he's going to continue to get volume in 2021. And one of the biggest things we look for in fantasy football is volume. We say, what's the talent? What's the opportunity? And what does that mean for their fantasy football value? And we're just so quick to forget how good players are one season to the next. Earlier, uh, I talked about Melvin Gordon, and I was just shocked that he was the PPR running back 14 because of what the perception of him is now. And I was also very surprised to be reminded that David Montgomery was the PPR running back four last season. Like, absolutely ridiculous. He doesn't feel like a guy that has top five running back upside, but he was right there. He had 247 carries, 1,070 yards, and eight touchdowns. And the big thing for him in 2020 was the 68 targets that he saw. 54 receptions for 438 yards and two touchdowns. So obviously a lot has changed in Chicago as we head into 2021. You mentioned it with Damian Williams there, with Tariq Cohen coming back from an injury. Uh, Even if he's not ready for camp for week one, he will play this season. At least that's my belief at this point. You obviously have Justin Fields Fields as well coming in to take over at quarterback. You and I are both very excited about his outlook. I think he's going to be starting for the Bears sooner rather than later. So given all of this information, I think David Montgomery comes down a bit in the receiving game. He's not going to see four and a half targets a game this season. But to me, he proved he can take care of business. He was good when he got that opportunity in 2020. So I think he still will see an increased uh, receiving workload from what he saw in his rookie season. I think it's going to be somewhere there in the middle, maybe like three, three and a half targets a game, which is still going to be very valuable. But with David Montgomery, I think the carry volume is going to remain sky high, which just gives him a very, very stable floor for this season. You've already got Matt Nagy, head coach, saying he wants to get Montgomery 20-plus carries a game. So if you know he comes up from the 16-and-a-half carries a game he saw last year to 20, if he ends up seeing over 300 carries this season, he's a lock to be you know a top 16 running back in fantasy football if he doesn't get hurt because 300-plus carries – essentially, unless your efficiency is next level bad, means you're getting 1,200 plus yards. There's going to be a touchdown opportunity that comes with that as well. So I think the floor is super high for David Montgomery, and that's why I don't mind him as a running back too. You have these guys with the big upside, the DeAndre Swifts, the Joe Mixons, guys we've talked about. That's why they're in higher tiers. But with David Montgomery, 
I think we saw the upside last season. I don't think we're going to get that again in 2021, but he should have a really high floor, which is a reason I love him for a fantasy football roster dependent on your roster construction. I think the offensive line in Chicago is going to be very important as well. Pro Football Focus has them ranked 27th right now for 2021, which is obviously not good, but I think they're going to be better than that. They lost a couple of veterans on this line. They're going to have some new pieces in place, including rookie Tevin Jenkins, who they they picked up in the second round at the tackle position. So again, I think the line is going to be better than they get it credit for. Not a top you know 10 unit by any means, but it should be enough to make uh, David Montgomery not only an effective runner in this backfield, but but certainly fantasy football relevant for your team in 2021. Yeah, those last five weeks of the season, averaging 26 PPR points in those weeks, be unrealistic for us to expect that from him again. But even in the games where Montgomery and Tariq Cohen were on the field together, Montgomery was still getting 15 carries and a couple targets a game. So should be very, very safe with that volume. Like you mentioned, tier six, Josh Jacobs was a guy. We, we could move him into tier five. I don't. I don't. Tier mind. five and a half. Perfect. Yes. Let's let's just go all in on that because he he could go either way. He's a guy that should have the opportunity. It's just there's so many mm-hmm. little question marks, things that make you nervous. But Mike Davis, who we haven't talked about at all in this show, is a guy that can be like uh, at least for the start of the year a RB one, a guy who can get it all done. Yeah. In every facet of the running back position. Might not be efficient. Might not be efficient, but from a touch perspective, from a high value touch with those receptions, if you get in a pinch and God forbid you have to have Mezzi RB2, but I think he's a perfect RB3. Exactly. A guy that can fill in when he's healthy should be able to sustain hopefully more of a season than Todd Gurley did last year. And Todd Gurley was still a guy that was putting up fantasy numbers, was scoring touchdowns. Mm And actually was seeing some breakaway runs. I think Mike Davis can do the same. He showed last year that he does have juice. Alex, you know I'm very high on Chase Edmonds. I don't look into James Conner as anything more than a between-the-tackles grinder. He's not explosive. He can barely stay healthy. And so for that reason, I have Chase Edmonds here in this tier. I think he will be looked to a ton through the air like he has been. But I also think there is room for him to get more volume on the ground, especially if James Conner goes down. I do have slight worries about Rondale Moore coming in and taking some of that check down volume in the short and intermediate passing game. But Chase Edmonds is another guy that's efficient. While he may be a little bit undersized, he's proved that he can get it done in the NFL. He can be an electric playmaker when given enough touches. And I think this year he will get enough touches to hit at his ADP. Yeah, totally agree on Edmonds. And and Steph, before we move into Tier 7, For me right now, initial reaction, again, we're recording this the day of the Cam Akers injury news. I would probably have Daryl Henderson in tier six. I think this is a good spot for him. Maybe pushing tier five. We'll wait and see if they do bring in any other running back, sign a free agent. If someone gets cut and they pick him up, maybe they make a move in a trade. Who knows what the Rams are going to do. But right now, I'd probably throw Daryl Henderson in right here. I'm not going to overreact just yet. Obviously, as we get into training camp and see what that backfield uh, situation is going to look like, he could move up, but I'd probably stick him right here in Tier 6. Tier 7, we get into guys that are in split backfields, but have a path to some upside. We have Kareem Hunt, who should stay in a 50-50 split, but 50% of the Cleveland Browns offense is fantastic when they're behind a great offensive line, a very efficient running game. We, show, we saw last year what Hunt could do. 
Unfortunately, it didn't go nuclear the weeks that Nick <laughs> Chubb was out, which is why uh-huh. he's moved down a little bit. Admittedly, I did have him higher last season. Not much has changed about a situation. If anything, it's gotten slightly better. But I just can't feel comfortable having such a cap ceiling with Kareem Hunt. That that dream of him taking over if, if Chubb goes down has just been a little bit tarnished for me. Javante Williams, we've gone in-depth on him on this channel Love him in dynasty leagues. He's a guy I expect to fully emerge by the end of the season. He's a guy that you can wait and late bloomer grab as a, you know, super deep RB three, a very comfortable RB four. If you're going with a very running back heavy roster, especially in like a 14 team redraft league where running backs are at an even extra premium because there's more teams looking for these running backs. I mean, who knows, man? We saw some of the rookies blow up last year, even some of the guys that we didn't expect, that we didn't even see coming, like James Robinson, Javante, from a prospect standpoint, looks very similar to David Montgomery from the way that he's breaking tackles, the way that he's built as a running back, and he showed he can get it done in the passing game in college, putting up the same reception totals and splitting the backfield with Michael Carter, who's also in this range, a guy that has a pretty clear Mm -hmm. path to take over for the number one. We just don't know how soon he's going to get the mantle. If he ever does, who knows? We might have Ty Johnson. We might have Tevin Coleman, who the Jets brought in competing with Michael Carter. Regardless, I do think Carter's going to be involved in this backfield. You know, I think between Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman, one of those guys is going to emerge kind of as that lead runner. But Carter, they drafted him to have some sort of involvement, even if it's just as, you know, a pass catching back early on, I think he will have a role with, which makes him valuable. And to hit on another rookie in this tier, Trey Sermon's here as well. He's someone in redraft formats, which is obviously what we're breaking down here. I view very similar to Javante Williams in the sense that they should have a role early on, but as the season progresses, could get more and more involved in this San Francisco offense definitely has upside. We've seen that Shanahan run scheme and Trey Sermon could be another late bloomer, a guy that breaks out as the season goes along. Steph, I'm going to let you talk about the last guy we have in this tier because this is an absolute travesty. Honestly, I think Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette should both be in tier seven, um, both values right now in drafts. For me, Ronald Jones in that Tampa Bay backfield, it is a little bit murky uh, in terms of situation, but we've seen the efficiency he's had. And if he gets those 12 carries and can get 50, 60 yards and a touchdown, maybe a target or two, he definitely can be a, a streamer if you at the running back position. But yeah, we do have Leonard Fournette in this tier as well. Um, if you've been watching the channel for a while, <laughs> you've heard about the Leonard Fournette-Ronald Jones debate. You know. So I'll let Steph talk about Fournette. <laughs> All I'll say on Fournette is he gets the most high-value running back touches in what should be one of the best offenses in the NFL. Brady will keep that offense humming. They're going to have goal-on opportunities, even if Gio Bernard impacts a little bit of that volume. I'm still... Mm-hmm. I'm still looking at it like he's like Gio Bernard's a Chris Thompson, and I'm not going to fade a guy who has, I'm not going to say RB1 at this point because Ronald Jones is there, but let's just say mid to high end RB2 upside, a very streamable running back, a guy I love at his ADP right now in the seventh, eighth round to just continue to shore up my running back core and make sure I'm not relying on AJ Dillon or Gus Edwards as a guy I need to plug in. Instead, give me Lennon Fournette or any other names in this range, to be honest with you. And then our last tier here, your boy, Ronald Jones, Raheem Mostert, also another guy in a split backfield, but we've seen those boom weeks before. We know he is one of the most electric runners when he's in the open field. If he stays healthy, he's a steal right here for sure. hundred percent. 100 percent uh zach moss is another guy that you know he could ascend and take that step up but for now we're kind of unsure on his role is he splitting it with devin singletary and as i'm seeing devin singletary get 
just dragged through the mud right now on the timeline. I think people aren't looking at his production. They're looking more at his measurables when yeah. they're fading him. And I, I understand the reasoning with that. I just, I have a really hard, tough time. He's a plug-in guy. Yeah, he's a, he's going to get some some usage, and and we'll get to more sleepers. I mean, this is going to be the last tier we break down on today's podcast. We'll get into some deeper sleeper running backs, and of course, as we plugged plenty on this podcast, like jump into our Discord and ask us about some of these deeper names because we've talked about them in the past. We're going to continue to talk about them as we get closer to the season, but I'm with you on Singletary. And you know things are going to change as the year goes on. Now, I put our boy Tony Pollard in this range because we love him in drafts. He is the number one ultimate handcuff Mm -hmm. to target if you're going to go after one. We've talked about Damian Harris on the show. He's being a little overvalued now, but there are certain leagues, certain drafts that I'll be in, especially on underdog fantasy, where Damian Harris will fall and can be a value. It's just going to be interesting to see what his role looks like. Even if he does take over as the clear number one on that backfield, he may be splitting touches through the air with James White and on the ground with Sony Michelle. And certainly, as we get closer to the season, things are going to change. Players are going to get cut. Guys are going to get injured. Crazy things are going to happen inevitably like they always do. Keep rocking with us here on the show. If you guys like what we got going on, a like on the video helps the YouTube algorithms, keeps the channel moving forward, and a sub on YouTube helps us a ton. Hit up that Discord if you have any questions you want to talk with us, and we'll see you all next time. Peace. Peace.